You are listening to Church at the Oaks podcast, where we exist to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. For more information about our church, such as service times, upcoming events, or how to join a group, please visit us at churchattheoaks.com. So we've been in a series uh, the last couple of weeks called Core Values, walking through what it is that is uh, distinctive about Oaks. And so if you've missed those, I, I would honestly, I would really love for you to go back and check those out. Um, this is the stuff that's like foundational for the type of church we're trying to be uh, and who we are as people that are a part of it. Um, so we're very clear around here on our mission. Our mission is the Great Commission, so we read it at the end of every service, right? And the way we say it around here, like our summary of it, is that we exist to send disciple-makers of Jesus by being disciple-makers of Jesus. That's our mission. That ain't ever going to change. That's not every church's mission. That's ours. We're trying to be focused on the one mission that Jesus left us with. We have vision, like that's, that's what we're striving at, like practically strategy, like what we're doing. But the values, these core values that we're walking through, they're interesting because uh, they... they they guide our behavior together as a church. They, kinda, they, they try to set pace for what matters to us and the things that we're going to do together and emphasize together at the exclusion of some other things that we probably could do but may not help us actually achieve that, that mission. Right? And so if you're thinking, like, I, I want to be a part of this thing, I'm, I want to I bear weight, I want to I I run hard with, with these people, um, then these core values are extremely important to you for that. Uh, there may be some points even if, I mean, maybe, I mean, if you come across this many core values you're like this isn't a core value of mine if it's core value of oaks and it's not a core value of mine then there's a mismatch there and you got to figure out what to do about that either this isn't a great place for you to be because these core values aren't reflected in your life or you're concerned that okay uh, or it's something that maybe needs to be a, a growth point something to press into pray through work on figure out like should that be a priority of my life if it's supposed to be a priority of my church, right? So the first few weeks, we've, uh, we've looked, at the, we looked at how we do things together, like what we're doing and the mission, that we're, we work on that together. It's not an individualistic mission. The church is called to, to strive together to accomplish the Great Commission. We talked about that. We don't, we don't work in isolation. We do this together. And last week, we talked about how we give our first and we give our best in every area of our life, like the things that God has set in our hands, that we use those to like leverage those for the sake of of the kingdom. That's who we are. We give our first and our best, not our last and our least. We're not here giving leftovers. And today, we're going to hit two of ours together. They, they, they do hold hands, and so they're they connected, and so we're going to handle those two together. And this is what we're going to talk about today, that these two core values. One is that we multiply at every level. Like we're supposed to be multiplying at every level of what we do as, as a church. Like We're striving to multiply at every level. Wherever you are, we want to multiply that. And then wherever you end up, we want to multiply that too. Every level of what we're doing, we're striving to multiply, not just add. I'll explain a lot of that later. The second one is that we believe in the next generation. We're a church, like from our core foundational values, that like we believe in the next generation. We're not exclusively for the next generation or something. We're not a church of the next generation, but we believe in the potential of being a church that continually invests in the generations coming up. All right? So those are our two. So if you're taking notes, we, that's our two things. We're multiplied at every level. We believe in the next generation because 
They're inherent to the mission. Multiplication is inherent to the mission. When you read the Great Commission together, we read that at the end of every service, right? There's something about that where it says, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus is talking to disciples, telling them to be people who make disciples, who in turn they're going to be called to make disciples. There's a multiplicative element of the mission. So multiplication is inherent to the mission. We're going to unpack that more. We're called to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And that piece about investing in the next generation and being, you know, believing the next generation, that's another biblical pattern. We're going to unpack that today. We're going to see it, like, in, in, according to God's Word and seeing patterns of the New Testament, the way that there was this continual element of not just pouring into one another, but also pouring into the people coming up behind you. We started a church in a college town on purpose. <laughs> it wouldn't accidentally end up here. Because we thought this was one of the most strategic places in the world that we could be. Where we could reach and disciple and equip and then send people all over the world to do the work of the Great Commission. Both that, that, that idea, that concept, they, 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 these two things, these two core values are foundational to us pulling that off. We've got to be a church that multiplies at every level. We've got to be a church that believes in the next generation. All right? Here's one thing I've uh, become more and more convinced of the older I've gotten, um, is that you learn more by doing than by watching. Right? There's a lot of things that I've watched. I have a lot of things I can watch you do. There's things that I I can observe, and I can watch a a lot of sports can't do anything that they're doing. There's a lot of things that I I can observe, but I don't don't really get it. I can't grow in it until I actually do that. It doesn't matter what it is. You just learn more by actually doing the things than just by talking about it. Like any of us that have, that have graduated college and gone and gotten a job, going and doing the thing that you were trained to do or learned about is far different than just sitting in a classroom learning about it, right? Like Luke over there, teaching history. It's a lot different than sitting around in a classroom talking about history. Now you got like crazy people like doing stuff and like people are laying on the floor. <laughs> You're managing people. It's entirely different than what you were taught to do in school. I remember when Jessica, Jessica's an elementary school teacher, my wife Jessica. There's a whole different thing. When did a whole degree at Bama, all of you are elementary ed, she did the whole thing. And then one day she walked into a classroom and called herself Miss Latham, right? And had 30 kids to keep alive for like eight hours. And then the next day she had to do it again. It's crazy. You learn a lot more by doing the thing than just by talking about the thing. Same is true of me. When I was growing up, I wasn't really following Jesus very well at all uh, until I was about 17 years old. And I was, I, before that, and even kind of bleeding over into the beginning to follow Jesus part, like, I was just kind of a punk. Like, I, I, I don't know if I would hang out with my 17-year-old self. I mean, it's just, I don't know if we would be friends now. I was that kid that just had that chip on his shoulder and, you know, tried to act hard all the time, even though he weighed like 135 pounds. You know, that guy. That was me. And then a couple of people started investing in me. A couple of my friends started inviting me to come be a part of our student ministry at church. And I started showing up, acting hard, like I didn't care, right? Sitting in the back, doing the whole thing. Finally, like I said, God started softening my heart a little bit. And I started allowing some people in. Some friends started inviting me to come to some Bible studies. And I actually went. Had no idea what they were talking about. It was really strange to go. It was like, kind of like our tribes. And then some other people started investing in me and started discipling me and started inviting me to go, hey, would you want to meet up every week and let's hold each other accountable to some things. Maybe start reading through the Bible and work on some of this stuff. Start figuring out how to follow Jesus on your own. I was like, yeah, let's do it. It's essentially what we do in Huddle. 
And so I got into the groups that we're talking about today, and it started to change my life. But then what happened pretty soon after that, I got to be 18 years old in, the, in one of the pastors of the church and said, hey, um, I, I, I could use your help in some stuff. I'm like, great, what do you need? And so he started out asking me to do some things behind the scenes, and I'd show up a little bit early and help set up some stuff and do some things around, you know, and I'm just serving behind the scenes, helping. I really liked it. I'm an introvert. I just like doing behind the scenes stuff. And then one day he said, all right, look, the people who are supposed to be leading the, the seventh grade boys uh, uh, small group, they're, they're out, okay? Like, <laughs> seventh grade boys uh, have a tendency to burn out leaders, um, I guess, and so they, they didn't have a leader anymore. And they're like, hey, uh, would you step up and lead the seventh grade boys? I've been following Jesus, like, intentionally for, like, 18 months, all right? And I didn't have the wisdom to say no. So I was like, okay. And they put me in a room with like 27 grade boy. Brian over there is one of them. Like, like, and he's okay. He lived. Like, it was Brian and 19 other dudes and me in a Bible. And I'm like, here we go. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. But it, I mean, I learned so much. I learned so much about what it meant to invest in somebody and care about somebody and teach the word and how little I knew of the word. I learned so much more by trying to hang out with seventh grade guys every week than I ever did on my own. I got invited into ministry. I got invited into the Great Commission. Somebody handed me the keys and gave me some authority and said, hey, go do it. I wasn't ready, but they gave me the keys anyway, and I went and tried, and I learned. I grew. And here's what breaks my heart, is that I talk to people who have been trying to follow Jesus a really long time for a long time. I talk to a lot of them. I talk to a lot of people who have been a part of churches for years or, or decades sometimes. And all they've ever been invited to do is attend. All they've been drawn to, all that's been asked of them, all they've been invited into in terms of the Great Commission is, hey, would you just come help fill out a room? Would you come sit here and listen? Get your number counted, all right? I ain't got to do anything. Well, see, I know that I started growing once I finally started getting to lead. Once I'd become a beginning new disciple. I was, I was getting my feet under me. I was growing as a disciple, and then somebody handed me some other people, and I started trying to invest what God had given me into them. Changed my life. I'm still basically doing the exact same thing. I never quit. It breaks my heart when I talk to people who have never been invited into that. They've never been invited into the Great Commission. They've just been invited to watch. Some of you are those people. Some of you, I, mean, I don't care if you're 65. I don't care if you're 19. Some of you have only ever been invited to watch. That's not what I see in Scripture. We're not inviting you to watch nothing. I want to see your life leveraged for the kingdom. I want to see you become a disciple who makes disciple, who makes disciples. Our passage this morning is found in Acts chapter 16. It's an interesting passage, and there's some backstory we're going to have to hit in just a second. But the, the, the passage begins in Acts chapter 16 and verse 1. You don't really know what's going on. But I gave the people, uh, Kayla's a beast. All right. I gave Kayla the notes like way too late, and somehow she's gotten some of them in here. All right. So Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. This is what it says. Paul, he also came to Derby and Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by all the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. 
All right, now you read that just out of, uh, clear with no context. makes no sense at all. There's so much happening here, all right? And so we're going to back up a little bit so you can understand the magnitude of what happened in verse 1 and 2 of Acts chapter 16, okay? It's so the backstory. So you first hear about these towns just two chapters earlier in Acts chapter 14. So Paul and Barnabas, right, they're, they're traveling around and they're sharing the good news of Jesus. And as they're going through these towns, they're, they're sharing the gospel. People are coming to trust Jesus as their Savior. And they're helping them organize into brand new little church plants in all these different towns and villages. Staggering, world-changing kind of work. And they've been working through and they've been, they spend a little time in these villages, these towns, and share the gospel, begin a brand new church, set the keys in somebody's hand who's only been a believer for like a month or so. You know what I mean? It's new, you know? It's a new work. They've been going around and they, they've been doing the thing. They get to a place called Lystra. Remember Acts chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Paul came to Derby and Lystra. He's been there before. He's been to Lister before, and, and it, it was a strange kind of experience. Right? So Paul shows up, and he ends up healing a guy who, who couldn't walk. And this place is way outside Jewish territory. It's a different thing. So the people, uh, they thought that Paul and Barnabas, they thought that they were Greek gods. You can go read about it, all right? Like, so it's in Acts 14. They're like, they, they think that they're Greek gods. They called Barnabas Zeus, and they called Paul Hermes. I don't know how Barnabas got to be Zeus. I don't know if he'd been working out more. I don't know, all right? But, but Barnabas got to be Zeus, and Paul's Hermes, and they're like trying to, trying to worship them as these Greek gods. And they, like, Paul and Barnabas freak out. Like, no, 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 we are not. That is not what's happening here, okay? There is one true God. They point him back to the Lord. So they get all that sorted out, and then pointed people back to Jesus, continue sharing Christ, and people, people start to believe. Some people like, are trusting Jesus as their Savior. They're coming to faith in, in Jesus, and they're starting to invest in these people. But some people from one of the previous towns they've been to, they show up in, in Lystra as well. And they start whipping the crowd up and, and accusing Paul and Barnabas of all this stuff. Basically end up inciting a riot. So things are going well for a little while. Then a riot breaks loose, and Paul ends up being stoned, dragged outside the city, and left for dead. They thought he was dead. It's not a great visit, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, if, I get, if I go visit Chattanooga and end up getting stoned, like, it's not like I don't, and I'm not probably going back to Chattanooga anytime soon, you know what I'm saying? I don't think anybody's ever gotten stoned in Chattanooga. If you're from Chattanooga, I love Chattanooga. It's great. I believe in you. I just picked it out of random, okay? So, <laughs> but, like, it's probably not a place you would go back to. But those new believers that they had reached there in Acts chapter 14 in Lystra, they, they started a new church. So to do the work as a church plan, kind of like ours. And then Paul and Barnabas, they head home to Antioch, and some time passes. And eventually Paul comes up, and he's like, hey, look, I want to go back. I want to visit all these churches that we started. I want to go check on them and, and see how they're doing, see how we can encourage them. So he takes a guy named Silas, and they set out to go visit these places. And the first place on the list, you know where it was? Lystra. He's like, I don't know, I just got to get that place out of the way. These people are nuts, all right? It didn't go great last time. Well, let's just go ahead and get Lystra out of the way. So in Acts chapter 16, that's what's happening. They show back up. Last time he was there, he literally had been stoned and drug outside the city and tossed in the dump, like, tried to murder the guy. Walks back in in Acts chapter 16, verse 1. It says, Paul also came to Derby and Lystra. And? A disciple was there. There was this guy there named Timothy 
who had come to faith somehow out of the ministry of that, that, that time that was spent there in that city. And so I don't know if Paul shared the gospel with him. I don't know if the new believers have shared the gospel with him. doesn't matter. Like this guy had come to faith in Jesus, and he's there. They meet him. They, they show up to Lystra, and there's good news. His name's Timothy. It's a big deal. That means this new church plant that they had started like not that long ago was reaching people. Was reaching out into the city, into the community, and saying, like, this is this truth, this is hope in Jesus, and like helping people come to find faith in, in Jesus. Timothy had come to a point where he had decided that there was one true God, not all these crazy other things. Like he has one true God who's going to trust Jesus as his Savior, follow him with his life. Some of you have made that choice. Others of you in the room haven't. Now that, that talked about points of obedience. That's like that's your first point here. This is where this begins. Coming to a point where saying, I believe this, I'm going to follow him. I'm not just going to agree that a God exists. I'm going to follow Jesus with my life. A disciple was there named Timothy. Not a God believer. Somebody, a disciple is someone who's following Jesus actively and practically. Like, he's doing this work. That's the goal of starting new churches. That's why we do this. That's why we press into areas that other people haven't yet. So we can see people come to faith and trust in Jesus. They can find hope. They can find peace. They can find salvation and forgiveness. They can find eternal security. Like, they can find him. I love getting to see the baptism videos that we do almost every week around here. Getting to hear stories of people saying, like, listen, this is how I showed up. This is what life was like. And then this happened. I heard about this Jesus. Somebody started investing me and helping me find answers in the word, and it's changed everything for me. I love how they close those videos, right? Every single time they close the videos saying, listen, I'm here today to let you know that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Yeah. Timothy had done that. A lot of you have done that. Some of you might have been three weeks ago, might be three months ago. Some of you might have been 30 years ago. I don't care. Timothy is a disciple. He's pursuing Jesus. What I want you to see this morning is what Paul does next, all right? Because it's great. It's a wonderful thing that there's a new believer out of a church plant. Praise God. That's awesome. But it's not done. They're not finished. That's not where it ends. That's just the beginning. Look what Paul does. Verse 3, it says this. It says, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. Right, that, that informs some things for us. That informs how oaks should function. There should be people coming to faith in Jesus, but there should be this accompaniment, this apprenticeship that rises out of that, that they're not done once you've just made a profession of faith in Jesus. There's this invitation into something greater, into the mission itself. He wanted Timothy to come with him. Timothy's not, like, Paul's not wanting another buddy. He's already got Silas. He's not, like, bored and lonely or something, all right? Like, he wants to invest in him. He wanted to include Timothy in the work. They're about to go check on all these churches. Like, they're going to be gone a while. Like, he said, this is a guy like, I think I could pour myself into. I think I could invest myself. I could help raise him up to be a leader in the kingdom. Paul wanted Timothy to come so he could invest in his life. Listen, there's something about disciple making that um, can't be tied to a program. Like, no matter, like, we have some, like, we have, oh, so we have, we have huddle, we have tribe, you know, we got stuff, we got some things, we got some equipping opportunities, and some of those are going to be starting in the next few weeks. But, at the foundational level, disciples are made by disciples. It's not by a program. You can jump in a huddle and you can do everything like, the, you know, whatever. I can send you an email and tell you what to do in a huddle. That ain't going to change your life. 
It's getting across the table, getting across the room from somebody else who's a little bit further down the road from you and saying, hey, this is what I'm dealing with this week. This week the Lord feels really, really distant. What do you do when the Lord feels really distant? Hey, I've got this question about this passage. I don't know where to even look for answers. What do you do when you have hard questions about the Bible? Where do you go with that? You don't need a program. You need a person. Paul's inviting Timothy like, to be his person. Listen, man, if you'll come with us, do this journey with us, I'll invest in you, I'll pour into you, I'll help you grow. Paul didn't want a student. He wanted an apprentice. He wanted to multiply what God had poured into him. It also shows that Paul believed in the next generation. Right? Like that's, Timothy's a young guy in the faith. Like he's, this, he's investing himself in somebody who doesn't really have any status doesn't have any like stature he's not a big deal in the community he's just this young kid we don't go after the most important people in the world like the priority isn't on reaching the most like important people in the city or whatever like we don't go after the influencers nah man like Paul sees like potential in this young believer just this guy named Timothy that's the one he invited into his life that's the one he invited into his ministry that's what we're trying to be as a church a church that sees the, the, the necessity of multiplication at every level that happens through people with a prioritization on the next generation saying we're not going after the most influential, we're going after the most available, the most strategic, the most obedient. We planted a church in Tuscaloosa on purpose, right? There's three college campuses here. That's weird. There's way too many for a town our size. I don't know what we're doing, you know. But they're here. It's like 37,000, 38,000. I don't know what enrollment was this, this year at, at Bama. 39,000 people just in one of them. That means nearly 10,000 people a year move here or move from here. That's unheard of in most parts of the world. Most people like, like, that are coming from here, like, you're from all over the place. Every time I meet somebody, I mean, rarely are you from Alabama. You're from all over the place. And you're coming from all over the place with a bunch of different mindsets. You're going to be sent all over the place. That's strategic. If, like, if you can reach and equip and disciple people that are going to be sent all over the world, you can change the world. That's why Oaks is here. We believe in middle school students and high school students in the exact same way. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, if someone would just go after the middle school students and the high school students in our city... You can see a disciple-making movement rise up in every campus, every high school, every middle school campus across our city. It's not unheard of at all. Somebody's just got to go after them. Well, because of who we are, because of our core values, because of our mission, we're going to go after them. I want to see a movement of disciple-making happen in every corner of our city, including every middle school and high school campus. Same is true for kids. My elementary school kids, now they're a little weird, right? Uh, but like, they're sharing... They're sharing Jesus on playgrounds and stuff, all right? Like, Jack's a fourth grader. Ezra's a second grader. They're, like, on swings and stuff, and they're asking the kid next to him, like, hey, so what do you believe about Jesus? I didn't necessarily train them to do that. I think they just like Jesus a lot, you know? And they're like, hey, I met this new kid. He doesn't believe God's real. And I'm like, you're in second grade, dude. Like, I don't, okay, how do you do second grade apologetics? And we're, like, having to press in because my kids is like, I don't know, man. My friend's lost. Like, what do I do? Uh, I don't know. We're going to figure it out, though, right? Praise God. Like, people trying to make disciples on playgrounds and stuff. I believe in the next generation. 
And, by the way, somebody in our city has to be going after the scores of adults in our city who are bored of cultural Christianity and have checked out because they haven't ever seen any power or significance in Jesus in their life. Somebody's got to go after them too. So we're going to multiply at every level and we're going to believe in the potential of the next generation. It's exactly what Paul's doing. He, he presses in, he's planting churches that are going to go after their cities and their communities, right? And we happen to have some campuses as well. He's eventually going to be sending people all over the world to multiply this same work. He takes a young believer with him, a young disciple with him to pour into him. And eventually, we're going to see what happens with that guy. This next part in, in verse 3 is a little bit weird, uh, a little bit uncomfortable, all right? So if you're looking at your Bible and you're like, what is that about in verse 3? Listen, so uh, Timothy was half Greek. Um, so a believing half Greek guy who wasn't circumcised couldn't enter synagogues which is a problem if you're trying to reach people. It was a barrier to the whole work. It was a barrier to the Jews that Paul was trying to reach. So to sidestep the controversy that would have happened if Timothy had accompanied Paul, to sidestep the controversy, Timothy had to be circumcised in order to go. Now that is a really high bar for a mission trip. <laughs> Heart of obedience though, right? Like, some of you, I mean, we got six people going to South Asia this summer, right? And they're going to have to, like, read a couple of books. This is worse, <laughs> you know? So they get the controversy taken care of. I mean, he's, you know, got, you know, whatever, right? Uh, got it handled. Got all that out of the way. They set out in verse 5. It says, so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And Timothy was a part of that. They're going through these cities. They're seeing these churches encouraged. They're seeing the, the people that are coming to faith. They're seeing those numbers increase daily. And Timothy's there. He's a part of that. You are supposed to be a part of that. If you're a believer in the room, like you're supposed to be a part of that exact same work, seeing churches strengthened and people coming to faith in Jesus consistent. Like we're supposed to be a part of that, not watching somebody else do it. You're not supposed to be on the sideline. You can continue to track the story of Timothy's work with Paul in Acts chapter 17 and, and beyond that. But something interesting starts to happen. Pretty soon, Timothy is not just an apprentice. Pretty soon, he's not just a helper. Timothy quickly becomes a leader. First, First Corinthians chapter 16, 10. I don't know if it's going to be on the screen or not. Don't flip there. First Corinthians 16, 10. When Timothy, it says this, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. You get to 1 Corinthians, and Paul's saying, look, Timothy's doing the exact same thing I'm doing. Timothy's gone from being an apprentice to being a leader, doing the exact same work that Paul's done. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to multiply at every level. Like, I'm not doing something special, all right? I'm just trying to reach my community the same way you're trying to reach yours. You might do it differently than me, but the same mandate, the same mission, the same work, same for me, same as you. We're trying to invite you into that, not to watch something. Continues on, like by Second by Second Corinthians, uh, Timothy's out here co-writing letters with Paul. We don't talk about that very much. You know, we talk about how Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament, wrote all these letters, right? Look at Second Corinthians one one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. This is the message of Paul and Timothy to you, you Corinthians. He's co-writing letters. Philippians one. 
Verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Colossians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. First and Second Thessalonians, the same thing. Second Thessalonians 3 says, Paul calls him our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. He's not some kid they picked up in Lystra anymore. He's a co-worker in the gospel alongside Paul the apostle. He's invited into that, invited into that work. Then you get two whole books of the Bible written to him when he's like personally leading entire churches of his own. Timothy came to know and follow Jesus, but that was not the end point. That was the starting point. And then some discipleship happened, some investment happened that moved him up to to the point of being able to invest in others, to be a disciple maker. And eventually, you get to see like legacy of Timothy's life, the same as you did Paul, where Paul and Timothy both are making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And we stand in the lineage of that. Timothy wasn't invited to watch. The mission that we've set out to accomplish together, to be a part of together, is the Great Commission. It requires multiplication. It requires multiplication at every level of who we are and what we do. So it means multiplication of disciples. So if you're a believer in the room, The mission set before you is to multiply that into somebody else and saying the person next to you who doesn't yet know Jesus as their Savior, you're trying to just give them what you've found. You're not trying to convince them anything. You're saying, listen, I was hopeless. I was broken. I needed a Savior, and I found found him. And helping somebody else come to the point of trusting Jesus as their Savior, that's our mission. But it's not the only mission. So we're multiplying disciples. We're also multiplying disciple-makers. So those of us who have figured that out, have, have like pressed in and started been trained on how to share our faith, like how to help somebody begin to walk well with Jesus, then we start training other people not just to, not to find hope in Jesus only, but also to walk well with him. Then help them figure out how to invest that in somebody else. You're raising up disciple makers. A disciple is not fully formed until they make disciples who make disciples. The end point, the end goal for you is not just having a mental agreement that Jesus existed and died on a cross, all right? Like, that is not the end goal here. It's following him and then, like, what he called us to do. And what he called us to do would be people who make disciple makers. And we have to have a heart of obedience to that because that's a high bar. It's a lot easier to to drop the bar all the way down and say, listen, all you have to do is trust Jesus as your Savior and show up on Sunday, you're good. That is not what you've been invited into. That's heartbreaking. There's something far bigger, far more significant, like kingdom shaking that you've been invited into. And I know it's a little terrifying. I'm sure Timothy was a little scared. But I bet at the end of his days, he was so glad he went let me just make this practical for us and for, for Oaks. Like, number one, we're, we're going to be a church that multiplies disciple makers. That's who we're going to be. So, like, core value-wise, like, that's what, we, this is what, Paul discipled Timothy. Paul calls him his child in the faith. Like, that's, we're going to do that work. If you're a Christian, like, this is our mandate. This is our mission. This is also why we have tribes and, and huddles. So, like, tribes, talked about it earlier, but tribes are groups of people, you know, usually about 10 to 20 people. They're meeting together once a week. If you're not a believer at all, you can go to a tribe. You can, like, the questions are not like, what's your biggest sin? Like, it's, that's not what happens, all right? It's, it's pretty chill. It's just some good people that love the Lord hanging out together. And so there's, there's people who aren't Christians yet in a lot of our tribes. That's on purpose. 
If you're jumping into a tribe, your tribe is supposed to be a place where you can invite whoever you want to come and be a part of that community, where they can find some answers, they can have some people around them, they can just have some good and godly relationships. That's what tribe is for, to build community. Huddles, huddles is where we really dig in deep, all right? There's one leader, three or four people who, who haven't been through it yet, who haven't been discipled yet, haven't been given this model of disciple making yet. It's the same gender, the same, you know, normally, yeah, a lot of them are mixed, mixed age groups or whatever, but whatever. Like, so you're, you're in there one on three, one on four. You're reading the same stuff in scripture throughout the week. You're doing some journaling stuff that we kind of all do the same thing to have a good format that we can multiply. You're praying together. You're memorizing some scripture together. It's just like the basic spiritual disciplines that you want to see in your life if you want to grow to know Jesus deeper. And so you got a group there helping you get on your feet, helping you start to put these things in practice. The first time you jump in a huddle, if you've never read the Bible on your own before, it's going to feel crazy hard. Three months in, you're like, man, if I don't do this every day, like, I'm miserable. It's crazy, like, once you start, like, drinking of the Word of God consistently, how thirsty you are when you step away from it. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big ramp. It'll change your life, though. If you've never been discipled, like, if, you've never, if you don't have community, like, these groups are there for you so that we can do the Great Commission together. So, like, today's signing day. It's the perfect day for you to have been here. Do you need to be a part of biblical community? Is that, is that, if you're a Christian, like, is that something that, like, the Lord has commanded of us? Yeah, it is. So how are you pressing into that? If you're in the room this morning and, like, you're a new believer and you haven't been discipled, you don't have a model of how to make disciples, step into a huddle. I know that your schedule is busy. So is mine. We ain't trying to, like, you know, measure or whatever, but... I got three kids and a mortgage, all right? Like, if I can go to huddle, you can too. You know, you feel me? So, like, maybe this morning you walked in saying, listen, my plate's full, I don't want to be a part of nothing else. I would suggest that nothing else is more important than you being in a huddle. If you need to drop some stuff, you need to get out of some things to make some space so you can spend time with the Lord and learn to follow Him well, I think everything else will line up behind that. What a heart of obedience look like for you. Number two, we're going to be a church that equips the next generation. Paul didn't just teach Timothy. He didn't talk down to Timothy. He invited Timothy into the work. He showed him how to lead. I don't want you to attend something. I don't want Oaks to ever become a place where it is acceptable for somebody to, to attend and stop there. Some of you, it's your first week in, in, in Oaks. I'm so excited you're here. All right? I hope you meet some people. I hope you hear something that draws you closer to the Lord. I just need you to hear this. This is not your stopping point. We're not a church where the, the be-all, end-all is just showing up in a room and listening to me. You don't need to hear from me. You need to hear from him, all right? I'm a terrible savior. <laughs> like, you're like that, if all you got is me and Austin in a band, you ain't got nothing. You need to know him. I want to invite you into the work of the ministry. I want to invite you into a church where you can be disciple, become a disciple maker, hold the weight, make an impact in the kingdom. I want my life to count, don't you? I don't want to sit there and watch something. I want to be a part of it. So what would obedience to that look like for you? Maybe it's like, listen, all right, I've been talking about this. I need to be a member here. I need to get in. Like, let's go. Like, teach me to do something. That's why we're here. We want to equip you. We want to, like, help you discover what God's calling you to do and help you do that. That's why the church is here. Third, we're going to be a church that sends even the next generation. 
We're not just going to send the, like the, the oldest and the, best, like the most equipped. We're going to send people before they're ready. We're going to send you before you're, you're confident. We're going to send you before you think you've got it all together. A lot of the places we're going to send you are some of those strategic places in the world. A lot of you are college students, and we're going to send you back onto that college campus to make the name of Jesus known in sororities and fraternities and marching bands and Kim Lat. I don't even know what you people do anymore, all right? I've been out of college so long. Like, you, just, you know, like, but like those places. Be disciple makers. We're also going to send... Uh, we're also going to send middle school students and high school students to make an impact on some of the places in our city that I think are the least thought about. People in Tuscaloosa don't think about middle schools and high schools. There's thousands of kids sitting around uh, having no one invest in their walk with the Lord. No one speak truth. We can't let that go. We're going to do the same thing with kids. We're going to send our, the kids that are being discipled here, that are believers here, we're going to send them back to their elementary school playgrounds to go tell somebody about Jesus. And yeah, it may be a little heretical sometimes, but they're doing great. You know, like, we're going to send them, like, it doesn't matter. If you're six or 60, you can make impact in the kingdom. Every one of us in the room who's out of college, we've got a significant weight on us. We have a whole city. Not just 37, 38,000. 138,000. A big weight's on us. There's very few going after the twi- people in their 20, the young adults in our city. We gotta be the people going after them. We gotta make community possible. We gotta make discipleship happen there. I, I, I gotta be the guy going after my neighborhood, which awkwardly is called the Oaks. I don't know. I tried not to live there. It didn't work. Like, but like, I gotta, who else? I, that's where I'm sent. Where are you sent? If we're going to see a disciple make a move in every corner of our city that impacts every corner of the world, um, we need you. Can't do this by ourselves. If it's going to be me and Austin, we're not going to get very far. But a people who's willing to take up the mantle of the Great Commission, to multiply at every level, to invest in those coming along beside them, like to pour their life into somebody else, that'll change the world. So I got three questions for you this morning. First one is this. Are you sure you're a follower of Jesus? Because none of this matters. Like, we can't be multiplying. Like, that's not a thing. Like, so, like, are you sure, like, you've trusted Jesus as your Savior? Timothy got to a point where he said, listen, I believe this. When Paul showed up, Timothy had come to faith and already started trying to follow Jesus. Well, being a Christian is not mental agreement that God exists. Being a Christian does not mean I'm plugged into a church. Being a Christian means that you've figured out that you are so messed up, so sinful, that you need a Savior to forgive you. And you come to meet Jesus and believe, like truly trust, that he died on the cross, paying the price for all of your sin, gave his life for yours, rose from the grave three days later, defeating even death for you, that he reigns even now, that you're placing your faith and your hope and trust in Jesus, not your effort. Not, I'm going to be good, I'm going to do good things, I'm going to follow the rules. No, like, I need Jesus. Have you done that? That's first and foremost, most important. Like, you can't do, like, that, that's where you start. And if that's you this morning, you've been following some, like, behavioristic model of Christianese or whatever, like, put your faith in Jesus. Our next step seems going to be back there in the back where those little curtains are all pulled like that. Like, they're going to be back there right now at the end of our service. 
And you can go back there and talk to somebody and say, listen, I've been a part of a church a long time. I've always thought that just doing the right thing saved me. And if it doesn't, I need to talk to somebody about that. Go back there, talk to them. Heart of obedience. Go. I know you're scared. I know that lump in your throat. I don't care. Go like nothing else matters for this life or for eternity besides you knowing where you stand with Jesus. Second, are you a disciple? You can, be, you can like, have, to have trusted Jesus and not be following him like, very intentionally yet. Like, that's something you grow into. You grow into some of these things like, of knowing how to follow Jesus on your own, handle the word, develop a prayer life, like, all that kind of stuff, right? So are you there? And a lot of you aren't, and that's okay. Jump in a huddle. Like, dive into a huddle and say, listen, i got to get some of this stuff figured out. I want to grow in maturity. I want to know how to handle the word. Like, let's go. Somebody, if you want to help, great, let's get it. Like, go jump in somebody's huddle. And let them help you get some of those behaviors started. So, one day you can be a disciple maker. It's my third question. If you are a disciple, if you know how to do those things, you've been following Jesus a long time, is your life, is it making an impact in the kingdom? Like just this past week, this past month, is your life making an impact in the kingdom? Are you pouring into some other people? Are you going after people who don't yet know Jesus? Are you making an impact in the kingdom? we got to be a church that's who we are. So what's your point of obedience in that? Our band's going to come. They're going to lead us in time of response. And I just want you thinking and praying through that, what a heart of obedience looks like for you this morning. Some of you, it's going to be a heart of obedience to trust Christ as your Savior. Some of you, it's going to be saying, listen, I'm going to, I need to set a time to be in a huddle and be in a tribe. Like, I need to do this. I don't really know if I can pull it off. I may have to drop something, like watch two episodes less of TV a week. But, you know, you'll survive. Like, or... Maybe it's saying, listen, I need to figure out how to show them my faith. I need to go invite that, that person that I've been meaning to invite to tribe, meaning to invite to Oaks. I need to, I need to step up and get that done. I need to quit making excuses, and I need to try to make some impact. What's your point of obedience this morning? Just a moment, I'm going to pray for you, and then um, we're going to prepare to uh, pray over our, our leaders. Uh, and so if you have kids and kids ministry, uh, some of our kids ministry workers are also group leaders. They're pulling double today. So if you have kids in kids ministry, um, I'd love for you guys to just go and slip out and go ahead and get your kids out of kids ministry so those leaders can get down here. We can be praying for them and that kind of stuff, all right? So parents are heading out. I want to pray over us. Next Step team is there. They're there to, to pray with you, talk with you about whatever's on your mind, okay? Let's pray together. Father, we prayed for heart of obedience this morning. We prayed that... Um, whatever it was that you had set before us, that we would uh, be willing to act on that. We pray that you would give us a soft heart, a willing heart to obey. So, God, in the quietness of the moment, I, I pray that by your Spirit that you would just set on each one of us what it is we need to obey. What do we need to do? some of us in the room, the first thing we need to do is, is fall on our knees and surrender in faith to you. Trust you as our Savior and our Lord. Give up the fight. Give up the striving to be good enough. Just fall back into your grace, your love, and your mercy. We need to believe. So I pray that those of us in the room, that that's our point of obedience or right now in this moment, that you would Help them to do that work. In just a moment, I pray that you'd give them the boldness to stand to their feet, walk back there to the next steps, and take somebody by the hand and say, hey, can we talk? For the others of us, we've been a Christian a long time, 
but we've never really pressed in. We've never really like availed ourselves of the opportunity to learn how to follow you on our own, not just receive what somebody else says. We've never been discipled. Some of us are trying to do this life on our own without any community whatsoever. And God, neither of those things are what you've called us to. So some of us, are, our point of obedience this morning is going to be stepping into community in a tribe or stepping into discipleship with a huddle. And God, I pray that, that you would just calm our fears about our schedules and remind us that getting together with other believers, getting to know your word is going to be life-giving, not life-taking. Help us to be obedient to that. There's others of us who know all the right things and could, could have preached this sermon for us know what a disciple maker is. But our lives are not making impact in our city or our campus or the world. There's people that we could have tried to invest in, could have tried to pour into, and we, we haven't for whatever reason. It's got for a lot of us, our point of obedience is a person's name. Lord, I pray this morning that you would give us a heart of obedience to respond to you, not just to listen, but to act. And we'll trust you with all that comes out of that, all the fruit out of that. Not as though I know how it's going to happen. But like we sang earlier, you're always faithful. God, we love you. We trust you. It's your son's name I pray. Amen. Church, our band's going to lead us in a time of response. It's your time to do something. So it's time for you to pray. If it's time for you to go talk to the next steps, just talk to the person next to you, make commitment just in your own heart to step into something, this is your time to respond, not just to sing. So why don't you stand as our band leads us and you respond how God leads us.